0: I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have as yet discovered. I'm
1: a superhero. Mother.
0: A real-life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We will make you a superhero. Are you ready to become the hero? Initiating surprise in three. This two is one. The real brain show. show.
1: Oh, it is The Real Brian Show. Welcome back. We've got an interview today because it's Wednesday, hump day. This is so exciting. I get to, once again, go on location and behind the scenes to a chocolate shop and factory here in Colorado that makes their chocolate from scratch, and they call it Bean to Bar. It's an incredible process. We have a great story to share with you. Let's rock it. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm The Real Brian, and it is The Real Brian Show. So, as you know, we're doing, you know, three episodes a week. Monday's sort of the encouragement day, get your week started off right. Wednesdays, we get to do interviews. I get to interview some incredible people. I get to talk to them and find out their story, where they've come, why they're doing what they're doing, and of course, uh, what they're doing to set themselves apart and succeed. And that's something at least I find interesting. You learn a lot from these stories I think it's so cool but also and this is so so much fun being able to go on location and actually see you know the shop and experience it the smells the sounds all of that as well as uh, oh man today we got to do something very cool which I'll share in a minute but I'll tell you it's an amazing experience and so you know you're going to be able to hear some of the stuff going on in the background you're going to hear the sounds the people talking I mean you're not going to be able to hear what they say because you know we want to keep their privacy good (laughs) Stuff like that, though. There's so much so much happening, and that's what I love about doing the location thing. And you know, being in the studio is awesome, but it's nice to get out sometimes. You know what I mean? Again, thanks for joining me, though. It's so great to be here. And as I mentioned, that's what we're doing today is we're calling this the Bean to Bar experience. Nuance Chocolate is where I went. And what bean-to-bar means is that they ethically acquire some of the best quality cacao beans in the world direct from the farms. And then they roast, they grind the cacao bean, and they turn it into their own chocolate from scratch. Nuance is one of the only... uh, We'll just say they're one of a few chocolate makers in the United States that makes chocolate from that bean-to-bar process. And of course, I'm going to be interviewing Toby, the co-founder and co-owner, along with his wife to ask him about his story creating nuance as well as what they've done to succeed and set themselves apart. But this is what's cool. I had, Oh gosh, it's such an amazing opportunity. I got to tell you to tour their factory and only a select few people are allowed to even do this to see how the chocolate is actually made from the cacao process and experience the site and the glorious smells in the factory. It was so cool to see it. And of course, being that the real Brian show is audio only, You know, I hope that we can recreate the experience as best as possible through the audio. You're going to hear some of the stuff. We're going to describe the smells and describe what's going on, but you're going to hear about that process of making chocolate from scratch. Now, I will say this, too. This is very exciting. Nuance Chocolate literally just opened their online store, so you also can get some of this amazing chocolate as well. NuanceChocolate.com, and that link will be in the show notes, of course. It is a more expensive bar of chocolate than you're probably used to, but it is by far worth it. Taste is incredible. I mean, the quality of the chocolate is exceptional. And I actually truly believe, just based on looking at it and, and hearing what Toby has said about the chocolate, that it's actually a healthier bar of chocolate than most chocolates out there. You do get what you pay for, right? Now, Nuance is not paying me to say this. I will say that right now. But I do want to see them win. That's who I am. I love to see people win. I love supporting people that I believe in, as well as their businesses. And and by the way, their chocolate is absolutely exceptional. So do Yourself a favor, treat yourself to one of their bars of chocolate. Please welcome Toby Gad from Nuance Chocolate. Thank you, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. So, you know, I appreciate you having me. This is fun for me because, you know, most of the time we get to hang out in the studio, we do a Skype thing, and that's all great. But when you get to come and actually see the chocolate, because we're talking chocolate today, and then we're gonna take a little trip over to your factory at some point here we're we'll going to see how it all made. I mean, this is exciting. So tell me a little bit about Nuance.
0: Yeah, Nuance is pretty unique. There are not many companies out there that make chocolate from scratch, right, from hand sorting roasting beans. People are more accustomed to traditional chocolatiers, of which there are thousands, and the difference is that chocolatiers don't actually make chocolate. They all start with the same kind of industrial base and just remold it. We're actually bringing beans in from all around the world. And we do that because different types of beans actually make very different kinds of chocolate. When we get the factory, I'll talk a little bit about that, different cultivars and different fermentation methods and all that kind of stuff. Nice. Yeah. So that's interesting because I think
1: you know a lot of people say, oh, this is a great chocolate. They go to a store, they buy some chocolate. It doesn't even compare.
0: No, not really. I mean, most of that stuff is really... It's commodity chocolate, you know, stuff we all grew up eating. We all thought chocolate was like that. That was what chocolate was. And we really discovered, my wife and I, in the process of starting to make chocolate, that there's a whole other world to it. That most commercial chocolate out there, it's kind of like, you know, often compared to the beer industry. We were all used to drinking one kind of beer to different names, right? Old Milwaukee, you know, Miller, Coors was all basically the same stuff. And once we got craft beer out there, we realized that there's a whole realm to a beer, So chocolate's following a similar kind of renaissance right now, yeah. where the commercial stuff was a way to, the process was a way to make a very predictable, one-dimensional, kind of utilitarian chocolate, right? Kind of like when you go to the store, cheese, right? You get two kinds of cheese, the white, the yellow stuff when you're kids, <laughs> right? <laughs> and we all grew up thinking that was cheese, and now there's so much more. So chocolate oh, yeah. is actually one of the most complex foods that we eat. It has about 600 naturally occurring flavor compounds. Mm. That is three times that of red wine. Interesting. So something is most complex food dumbed down to the level of commercial chocolate. Yeah. We kind of grew up with that. And it's yeah, a terrible thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So a lot of people, you know, are, are kind of being into the health craze right now, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hear about the health benefits of chocolate.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Right. It's my vice. When you start making your vice healthy. Right. How does that make you feel?
1: Well, there's a difference. Right. There's a difference. between saying, well, you know, it's healthy in the sense that, OK, cool. I can justify eating
0: more of it. Right.
1: But at the same time, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't need justification to eat more chocolate. That's a good thing. I've never had that problem, right? I've never been making any restraints on there. I've been a my entire life. But yeah, there are some health benefits. There are a bunch of flavanols and flavonoids and antioxidants and things like that in chocolate. The commercial chocolate-making process where they Dutch or alkalize it, it actually reduces that by about 50 to 90% of all the good flavor compounds in there. Wow. Yeah, so you know, those studies are mostly done on Dutch chocolate and they show some benefits. So when you're talking about something that has... So many more of those compounds. Our process, there's no dutching, right? You get a lot more of those compounds. So, yeah, you could probably say that chocolate has a lot of health benefits. We keep seeing those studies. If you think about taking out 90% through a repeat alkalization process, even our milk chocolate actually has more of those compounds than a theoretical commercial 100%. Hmm.
1: That's incredible.
0: Yeah, I'm actually about 200 years old, and you'd never know. Kind of for
1: the immortal thing, I love it.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's good stuff.
1: Yeah. Now you talked about your milk chocolate, your dark chocolate. This is something that I think is interesting because you know a lot of people I know will come in and I hear this too, and they'll say, you know, hey, do you have a ninety percent dark chocolate? And everything you do is seventy percent.
0: Well, we do have a higher percentage too, but the whole percentage thing is a way for, yeah, commercial chocolate. They get very fixated on percentage, right? So in a commercial chocolate bar, the most expensive ingredient is the chocolate, the cacao. Mm-hmm. So they, what they do is they dilute that with low-grade milks or emulsified fats, things like that, hydrogenated fats and oils, and a way to make it cheaper. So the more cacao they put in, the price of the bar has to go up. And uh, it tends to get bitter in commercial dark chocolate sure. as well. So what they've tried to make everybody believe, kind of hornswogling us in there, is that higher percentages are better and that bitter is a goodness, is a good thing. Mm. Interesting. So when you go through a commercial process, start with a very low-grade bean, it requires a very, very heavy roast to make it palatable and with that heavy roast comes a bitterness. Mm-hmm. So we start with very, very high quality beans for the best beans around the world that we can get and you can roast it more delicately mm-hmm. and therefore we get lots of flavor, complexity and structure without that bitter note. So we choose 70% for most of our single origin bars because I think it provides a nice level of sweetness to the bar. Mm-hmm. People often think sweetness and bitterness are opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, there are lots of things we eat that are not sweet. A cracker, for example, is without sugar is not a sweet thing but yeah. it's not bitter. Yeah, so fine. sugar can match bitterness, which is why the commercial chocolates, they put so much sugar into those bars. But if you're not that bitter to start with, like ours is, right? Yeah, yeah. Deal lots of flavor and not that bitter note to it.
1: Yeah. Okay. I love that. See, and that's something that, you know, I've talked about, you know, that I roast coffee.
0: We mm-hmm. talked about that on the show
1: and it's a very similar process in the sense of that, you know, a lot of lower grade coffees, you got to roast very dark so that you don't have those imperfection flavors, which is why you have that bitterness or people saying, oh, it's, you know, too dark or whatever you want to call it, but it's the same kind of thing in chocolate, I think. And you know you get the higher grade coffees, for example, and you can roast it lighter and there you go, you get all those flavors. But it's the same thing here, you know, when I taste your chocolate we've done a ton of flights by the way here, which is great. You start to go, wow, I had no idea that chocolate could even taste like that. I mean it's incredible.
0: It is, yeah. You can mask Bad flavors So when you're talking About 600 flavor compounds In dark single origin chocolate If it's a poor bean That's a bad cultivar Maybe handled poorly Fermented badly You know You get a lot of those Flavor compounds That are not good Oh yeah So if you roast it really hard You basically burn them off And you get that One dimensional Industrial thing going And most commercial Chocolate makers Add a lot of Artificial vanilla And flavorings And chemical washes That are included In the alkalization process To make it palatable again In other words The bean almost becomes A base bulk agent Rather than something that we cherish for the complexity differentiation of it, so
1: it's interesting you talked about that they water down things with a low-grade milk. I've noticed that in your single origin, you know, it's cacao and it's sugar, and that's it. You don't put any milk in those the single origins.
0: Yeah, we wanted to celebrate the, how different those beans are when you make them into chocolate. Exactly. So, yeah, there's a place for milk chocolate. We make a lot of milk chocolate bars, sure, too. Sure. Milk and chocolate are a great pairing. Absolutely. So when we use milk, it isn't to basically like dilute a poor bean. We do it because it tastes really good together. Sure. And we use a whole fat milk from Holland. hmm Rather than, a lot of commercial bars will use a non-fat type milk, a very low grade. And they do that because, well, milk fat can go rancid, right? So it requires preservatives or just less of that kind of fat in there to make it safe, make it a long shelf life, which is what they're focused on, right? When you're pushing out a commodity bar, shelf life is very, very important. Absolutely. And for us, you know, it's not really that important. You don't sell it, you eat it. Right. We make it as we need it, right? And so if we need more, we make more. Yeah.
1: I don't think you have a problem with running long on anything, do you, anymore?
0: No, we're running out of things over you know, the holiday rush seasons, mm-hmm. and we're about to go online. We finally have enough chocolate to sell online. Nice. But yeah, that'll be a challenge to keep up with that as well. We've grown a lot. More equipment, more people. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting, though.
1: Okay, so tell me about the journey of Nuance and how you got here, you know, where you started, what you were doing, and what brought you to this point?
0: Yeah, sure, so I'm the kind of kid who always loved chocolate. Actually, the first thing that I made as a kid, which is amusing in hindsight, right? This is not a dream I had to open a chocolate shop, but in hindsight, I think the writing was on the wall. I always would make fudge, it was my first thing that I actually made. Quickly learned that you could actually, instead of using like two squares of the baking chocolate to make the fudge recipe, if you put the whole box in, it was a lot better. So my mother thought this was great amusement. And I really, I think I would have put in multiple boxes, but she only buy one box at a time for each fudge recipe. And that was a lot of fun. My wife has a similar background and love of chocolate. And I were both the kids who would trade with our siblings, both the older siblings, so the rate was never very good for Halloween trades. We trade basically all of our low grade kind of sweet candy junk for anything resembling chocolate at whatever ratio our siblings would abuse us for. So we've always loved chocolate. You know, anytime in the mountains, we had chocolate with us. We used to do my previous business. We would close the office door and eat chocolate together. And the employees thought it was a little odd some giggling coming from the the, the office closed door. But, you know, but we were just eating chocolate. So we were in Costa Rica a number of years ago. We traveled pretty low brow. And we're down this little dirt road in the way southeast corner of it by Hone Creek. And there was a little wooden sign that said, Chocolate Museum. So, you know, of course, we have to go check that out, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. And long story short, we had this wonderful woman guide us through the jungle for a couple of hours, showing us different things. And her name was Kendra. She's now a patron saint of Nuanced Chocolate. I hope Kendra watches your show or listens to your show sometime. at the very end, you make some very primitive, I'll say it in quotes, chocolate, which is really just ground up nibs in sweetened condensed milk. That's kind of what they have for technology down that part of the world. it blew my mind at how different it was, though, from anything I'd had before. And I didn't eat a lot of chocolate, but this was really crazy, wild, really fascinating. So I came back to the States and wanted to have more, right? So I started buying some nibs and roasting beans and buying beans and reading on the web learning basically how to make chocolate. We spent you thousands of dollars on equipment, turned our kitchen into a chocolate factory, half our basement, and that's how I was born, really the idea of making chocolate. I had a previous company, which I had sold, so it's time and money, and was mostly riding my bike and eating chocolate and making chocolate, and trying to figure out what to do next with my career, right, it was kind of more corporate type leadership, but this is my third business I've started, it is my last. So we decided to make chocolate, and here we are. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, so it's interesting though that it's been, you know, a passion and a desire of yours for, you know, your whole life pretty much.
0: Yeah, but never thought about actually starting a business. That was not you know, people occasionally ask me, Is this a dream? It's like, no, it actually just fell on my lap. It was good time, right place and you know, in hindsight it was pretty obvious, I suppose, but it was never a plan, I guess. Interesting. Yeah they would be ready for things that come out of left field in life.
1: Well, you know, you find that. You see that sometimes, you know, where you're saying, Oh, I've got this dream. I'm going to go after this. And then other times where you're just going, Hey, I just, I mean, it's always been a passion, but here it is. Yep. You know, now I have to ask this because people always,
0: you know, they wonder this question that it's a hobby. It's a passion. You turned it into a business. The joy is still there. I'm assuming. Oh, that. absolutely. You know, it's a lot more fun because now I can share that with a lot more people. When we we're making it as a hobby. We've got family and friends, pretty small set there. You know, now sharing that with the wider world's a blast. It also gives me a reason to make even more chocolate and try roasting different beans. Because now, rather than just have it stack up or give it away to friends, people will buy it, right? Which is <laughs> which is nice, right? So I don't have to keep making more and keep experimenting and learning about the process. So, yeah, it's actually, I would say, it's more fun as a business than as a hobby. See, that's cool to hear. It is fun. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's neat. You don't always hear that. You hear somebody say, oh, it's a great hobby. Turned it turned into a business and I lose the joy. It's kind of like you were saying earlier. Yeah. You know, as soon as I think of chocolate as a health food... You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't don't wreck it. No, no, it's definitely still a big passion. Yeah. So you started how many years ago has this been now? So Nuance opened up two and a half years ago. Yeah, it was October sixth. October sixth, two and a half years ago. That's yep. amazing.
1: And I remember, you know, you got in here and people
0: had said, Oh, there's this new little chocolate shop, you gotta check it out
1: and it just took off. I mean I don't know how fast the growth process was but I remember that first Christmas you guys sold out fast.
0: Yeah. We literally did not have enough chocolate to, you know, open that first month and then we got hit by Christmas time and we actually had to close several times just getting sold out. And you know, we make a lot more chocolate now than then, the same exact process that we do, just more equipment, more people. Yeah. So yeah, we've definitely felt overrun, but in a good way. Yeah.
1: Now I got to tell you I'm not as much of a chocolate connoisseur as you are, but you know, knowing coffees, knowing teas for example, I do, you know, understand the tasting process kind of thing mm-hmm. when it comes to understanding the true compounds in that, but I've never tasted a chocolate with as many flavors as yours. And I've had a lot of good chocolates out there. You know, I've had some from Victoria even up in Canada, and there's a famous place up there, you know, and even then nothing. So, well, thanks. You've done well. <laughs> <laughs> how did you figure this out? I mean, the stuff you've learned, you were telling me about that journey, but how did you figure out how to really make chocolate to the level that you're making it at
0: so what what you're working with making chocolate is the cultivar of the bean the method of fermentation which we don't control so we buy fermented beans that happens in the jungle rainforests around the world then the roasting process then the melanging stage so each one of those is critical for the development and flavor of chocolate so we don't control the roast, or we don't control the cultivar or the fermentation methods, but we have to buy beans that are good to start with. So being very selective in our beans and we buy, we probably only sell chocolate that has been made with maybe the top 15% of the types of beans that we experiment with. So we're already pretty selective. That's nice. We can't make good chocolate from bad beans. That's just a reality of it. Sure. And that's okay, right? The commercial guys can do that just fine. Yeah. So then it's a lot of experimentation, right? It's different types of roasts and different temperatures and holding temperatures and uh, ramp-up speeds and cool-down speeds, all those kinds of things. Nice. So it's, you know, how much time it's in the melanger, how warm those machines are, and those kinds of things, how you develop the right kind of temper in the chocolate, affect the taste performance, you know, of those. So there's always a bit of luck whenever you're talking about something that's as complicated as roasting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the melanging times, there are, gosh, probably thousands of permutations on that. Yeah. So, you know, I will not say that we've exhausted by any means what's possible with it. What we have figured out is how to develop the kind of chocolate that we like. Everything we make is something that we personally want to eat and enjoy.
1: That's nice. Well, this last Christmas, you were talking about the new peppermint chocolate that you guys were making and how it took some time to really master that. And, uh, you know, because the peppermint chocolate is it can be overpowering. It can be too yep. weak. It can be an artificial flavor, you know, kind of thing. And
0: Yeah. Adding flavors of chocolate, everybody thinks it would be an easy thing, right? Just put, yeah. put flavor in, yeah. right? And boom, there it is. And sometimes that works pretty well. You know, we do a glazed almond bar and you glaze almonds and cane sugar and spread them on the backside. Boom. Pretty good. <laughs> you know, hard to go wrong there. Something like peppermint, the right kind of peppermint, the amount that's being used and the right matching of the chocolate with that one was actually trickier than we thought it would be. We went through more revisions of that than most of our flavored bars, even though it would seemingly be pretty straightforward. Temptation, of course, is always just to put it out there. People want begging for it. But, you know, the truth is we didn't want to do it until we really liked it, and it took us about two years to get that one right. (laughs) See, and I appreciate
1: that because, you know, to make sure you're not just saying, oh, I'll just put it out there and hope for the best because if somebody doesn't like it or it gets around, you're never going to sell any peppermint again. Or you're yeah. not going to sell much, and so we didn't it like right. it. More importantly, yeah, yeah.
0: right? Honestly, it's something that I'm not going to sell and make something here that I don't really like. Yeah, yeah it's good for the business, I guess, to have that attitude. But the truth is that I want good peppermint chocolate. I like sure. peppermint chocolate. We yeah. have other things too. You know, we've got other ingredients we add, say, honey, lavender, truffle. Yes, I was just going to bring that one up. Yeah, you yeah. know, lavender oil. A little bit goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of had a mixed relationship with lavender. A lot of times, yeah. to me, it tastes soapy and over the top, and most things that I have. And I would say that I generally shy away from anything lavender flavored for that reason it just clings to you it's like eating a perfume bottle so making honey lavender truffle we worked a lot with that to make sure it was there but supporting you know we make good chocolate I'm not going to cover that up a lot of chocolate shops they'll flavor things and it's more about what the flavoring is as though chocolate some kind of carrier you know that would be like taking you know a beautiful wine and you know, throwing a bunch of berries in there to make it taste like a, f- a wine cooler rather than enjoying the wine that's there itself. You know, low-grade wine, sure, making it a wine cooler. You know, <laughs> why not, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and with chocolate, exactly. though, we want the chocolate to be first.
1: Yeah. No, and that's really neat, you know, looking at your truffles right there. I think I'm glad you brought up the honey lavender because that was one I tried. It was actually, I think, one of the first truffles I tried, and it was phenomenal. But you know, you could taste the lavender, but like you said, it wasn't overpowering. Yeah, it yeah. It wasn't the perfume bottle, as you mentioned. Yep. But at the same time, there was that honey flavor. A lot of times you'll see something that's honey, but you yeah. can't taste the honey. You can taste the sweetness, but you can't taste actual honey. And you can taste the honey in your chocolate as well. Yeah,
0: honey is a, it's an expensive thing, right? So oh, yeah. most commercial things, they have to have long shelf life, which means they steer away from real ingredients because real ingredients do have, tend to have shelf life issues. And, two, it's expensive to put the right amount of honey in to get the flavor that you want. Yeah, absolutely. So... The honey lavender truffle, we use local Copacos honey, mm-hmm. and we try several different kinds of honey. They actually have a whole range of honeys they sell. So we chose a, a local wildflower honey because it's really potent. It's really yeah. strong. Yeah. Honestly, it would not be my favorite honey to eat You know, on a honey toast, Sure, but it's a wonderful complement to chocolate. That's a great yeah. thing working yeah. local companies because we sit down and try the whole range of their products and find out what really works rather than just saying, I'm going to use honey. You know, It's important the kind of honey... Is as important as using honey. And that's true of most of our stuff.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people don't really actually think that, you know, some honeys or salts or spices or whatever do really well mm-hmm. in a cooking scenario. And some are great as an actual finisher or, as you said, like on toast or something like that. And I don't think a lot of people really understand that there are different flavors for that, different uses for honeys and everything used. That's cool.
0: Yeah, it's true of all of our stuff, you know, even things like bourbon, right? People think, well, bourbon's bourbon. Yeah. You know, of course, real bourbon people. No, it's different. (laughs) But when you start pairing something like bourbon, which is incredibly complex flavor profile, with chocolate, how you do that pairing becomes even more critical. Because when you combine two very complex foods, the the result is not always good notes. You can get some weird flavor notes. Oh, yeah. So one bourbon might be really good with a chocolate. Another bourbon really might not be good. Even though it's a great bourbon and a great chocolate, they don't work together. Yeah. So we're always working with the idea of let's do, say, a bourbon truffle. And then we go experiment with different bourbons until we find the one that really works with that chocolate we're working with. So, but you do work, you said, locally with a lot of the breweries,
1: distilleries, that kind of thing here? Because you do have a lot of chocolates with, like you said, you've got a bourbon one, you've got an absinthe one, you've got some of the local beer ones, right?
0: Right now we don't have a local beer one. We do have a brewmaster, though, and that one comes out. We actually work the other way around with a lot of the breweries. They use our chocolate to flavor their beers. Ah, interesting. So we work with Odell, New Belgium, Black Bottle Brewing, Zwie Brewing. So a bunch of those guys locally use our stuff. And you've had them before, though, right? Some of the truffles? With beer? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we have a brewmaster. And we actually don't put straight beer in that one. We actually found an example of that is just putting beer in doesn't work. Yeah. To the flavor doesn't get through the chocolate enough. Okay, interesting. So our brewmaster, we actually use that one is hop oil and dark malt. Yeah. And then we use something really fun. We use spicy spirits actually distills a beer and makes a hop schnapps. Interesting. So that actually, I guess you could say it's adding beer to the truffle, but it's really, uh, at that point, it's been through a distillation process. So it's much more flavorful and more, you know, they call it hop schnapps. So there, that should tell you something right there. Yeah. And we had that to it. So that one is beer-based truffle. Nice. With a little bit of kick from the hop schnapps.
1: Interesting. That's yeah. cool.
0: So now, what's your biggest seller? You know, it depends on the time of year, what's out front, what we place on the deck. It's really hard to predict that one. Okay. But yeah. I mean, as far as, let's go even with just with bars, flights, or... Yeah, so it's interesting. The business is, is really my wife and myself. Mm-hmm. So we focused first on the bar aspect of it for building the business and she was making truffles. So we thought, yeah, we'll have a retail spot, let's sell some truffles too. Yeah. It turns out truffles are about half of the business. Interesting which is pretty fun, actually. Yeah. So on a typical day, it's remarkably close to 50-50 bars and truffles. Interesting. We're getting really well you know, known for the single origins. It is the largest selection in the world of single origin bars. Wow. I didn't know that. No, I wasn't trying to beat records. It was just by accident, <laughs> right? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Somebody commented how we had and wanted to know if anybody had more. So I started kind of asking around. Yeah. And the answer was it didn't really seem like it. So nobody's heard of anybody more than we have. Oh, that's great. It just happened really. It's like different beans. I'm always try different beans. And if I hit the roast and we get something delicious and different and ethically sourced right our cacao is all ethically and sustainably sourced very important part of that uh, we put it on deck and then people buy it so they kind of keep goading me on right if i bring a new bar and they buy it i have to keep finding more cacao to repeat that fun of course yeah so you know single origin bar is pretty well known for that but certainly milk chocolates sell well and our drinks you know it's wintertime. of course we sell lots of hot chocolates and sipping chocolates and all those things that's sipping chocolate i did the buttermilk spice sipping chocolate last
1: that's the last one i've had anyway oh my gosh
0: Yeah, half a bar of chocolate and heavy cream. It's a good start. Yeah. Was it three
1: (laughs) ounces? Is that right?
0: Yeah, it's about three and a half ounces. Three and a half, okay. That's all it is, liquid. (laughs) It was inspired by Spanish or Italian style, which are really thick. And people kept asking us for a thicker one. We were selling our French style. So we thought, yeah, thick is good. And we started looking at making that and adding it on. What we discovered is that most of those are actually hot cocos. Start with cocoa powder, Mm -hmm. and they're thickened with potato starch or corn starch. So, people think it's a thick chocolatey drink, thick from chocolate. It's really more of a pudding. So, we said about making ours, I wanted to make something that actually is thick from chocolate, right? That's, that's authentic. Yeah. So, we experimented around to figure out what does that the best. And we found out that heavy cream, a small amount of heavy cream and half a bar of chocolate work really well together. <laughs> you know, that much cream, you have to have something that suspends the chocolate, right? It has to yeah. actually hold it in suspension.
1: Oh, it's an amazing thing. I got to tell you, you know, I can't even do... A regular hot chocolate anymore To me it feels like It's too watered down You know yeah. But three and a half ounces Of just pure gloriousness is. is
0: <laughs> well yeah Hot cocoa has always Frustrated me as a kid Right Because you get the powder Out there And it's sort of Chocolatey color And yeah. you know To make it chocolatey I to keep pouring More and more spoonfuls Of the stuff Into my hot water and just made it sweeter. I didn't really seem to make it chocolatier. So I was always frustrated by that. And, you know, those years are gone now. Thank, thank goodness. <laughs> you know, this was years
1: ago, and this was before, you know, you even were here. But I had made this hot chocolate. It was peppermint hot chocolate, but I had gotten, I don't know. It, it was a good quality cacao at the time, you know, but it was one of the powders. But anyway, no, we might have melted chocolate now that I think about it. We might have actually gotten some of the baking chocolate bars.
0: Yeah, so cocoa powder doesn't have much in the way of fats and oils. So using whole chocolate is probably what gives it that good body and mouthfeel. I think it was then. So we did that, and then we did the heavy cream, and then
1: we did some whole milk, just, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit. But then, you know, you put in just a teeny bit of sugar if you need it. And then I think I actually put in just peppermint oil, and that was it. But I had the problem, which is why I know you were perfecting your peppermint bar, that it tasted like, you know, menthol. Yeah, a little bit of that stuff goes a long, long
0: way for sure. It can be uh, pretty easy to overdo it. The
1: thickness, though, was, I remember people saying, this is like sludge. And I said, yeah, so much the better. But it was rich and beautiful and nothing like yours, though.
0: But still very good Thank you, thank you Well you know, you can't go wrong You get chocolates and, and melt it up And it's a good start so. so now if I was to buy your
1: cocoa in a bag mm-hmm. I know it's going to be different though Because you actually melt an actual bar of chocolate
0: Talking about a cocoa Like powder Yeah, cocoa powder we don't make ourselves It's the only thing we don't make from scratch
1: Oh really, okay Right, yeah Okay, the stuff you sell then
0: Yeah, we, we have some cocoa powder on the things. We sell hot cocoa versus hot chocolate Right, hot chocolate's made with chocolate And hot cocoa is made with cocoa powder Oh, okay Yeah, because we have some cocos That make some cooking and things like that Making brownies and such like That. So we did search high and low to find a good cocoa powder that we could sell in the shop. Okay. That's Uh, good to know. Yeah, yeah, but it's not. It's only the only thing we don't press. You know, you cocoa press, it's a different process than chocolate making. Yeah. And nothing wrong with good cocoa. We actually found some cocoa we really like for that process. Sure, sure. Yeah, we don't, don't make that from the bean. The only thing we don't make.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, no, that's good to know. So then if I were to buy something that's just basically, I want to make my own hot
0: chocolate from your chocolate. Yeah. Half a bar. Yeah. Just by the bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what we used you know, my wife and I made. Yeah. Right in the background here, a steamer right now going, yeah. and that's how we actually steam our hot chocolates, right? Oh, that's great. But home, all you have to do is get a, you know, a saucepan and some milk and a chocolate bar. You can grate the thing up a little bit in a cheese grater and, you know, warm it up gently and carefully so don't scald the milk until everything melts. You can use a whisk to, you know, help disperse the chocolate into the milk or the cream. Yeah, yeah. The steamer helps. You know, you get the nice layer of foam on there in a French, but you don't need to have it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, we're going to go over to the factory here shortly and talk about some of
1: the the processes. But one question I have for you, I'd like to ask this question: Is where you've gotten? Is amazing. You know Thank the you. success you've had. Like you said, it was fast.
0: We didn't have much choice, right? With a <laughs> starting a new business with everything you have, it's not like you can afford. We can afford no. to sit around. We have no investors. It's just us. So yeah. it was a do it or die. Well, and you've not only succeeded, but you have set yourself
1: apart. I mean, you just even said you're the mm-hmm. number one chocolate supplier in the world that comes in of a single origin.
0: Right, with the widest selection of single origins. Yeah, yeah. We're not number one as far as quantity. Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, but yeah. you know, I mean, that's setting yourself apart. That's really huge. But I want to know. You know, I know you've done a lot. I mean, you worked hard. What's one, two, or three things that you did that, you know, was a, call it a strategy, whether it was intentional or whether it was an accidental discovery later that you went, oh, I did that. That worked, you know. What did you do, though, to get to
0: where you're at today, set yourself apart, be successful? So, first of all, it's not my first business, so that helps a lot, right? The basic underpinnings, what makes a business operate. That administrative aspect is, to me, the least exciting part of business. Oh, yeah but if you don't do it right, you will fail. Yeah. So I get a lot of people asking me about how to start businesses, how to operate businesses, and that's a necessary evil in my opinion. Yeah. There's so many people out there with just a passion for something that starts something up, and they think that the passion or the idea is what the value of the company is. Yeah. You have to execute, and that means unfortunately dealing with the part of business that we don't like. Mm-hmm. So for me, having a bookkeeper who handles all that part of the business allows me to work on the creativity and the development of the actual chocolate. Because people I want to be. So part of that is delegating things that I don't like to do to somebody who does like to do those. Yeah, that's a good one. It is important, right? It does cost a little money, but at the same time, it lets me focus on what I like doing. You yeah, know, and then it's, it's better. Yeah, exactly. So many people, you know, they've got a passion like that, and they end up spending all their time doing the books and not enjoying the passion. Some yeah. people who hate their businesses. Yeah. Well, uh, and then nothing ever gets done because they're, like you said, Exactly. St- they do it wrong, and they get penalties from the IRS, and God knows what else, right? So <laughs> I am a bookkeeper who just deals with all that crap. Very important part of it. But as far as the actual part about it, you know, I'm a control freak. Okay. I like to do everything ourselves. So everything from I've painted my own signs, done my own graphic design... Built all the parts of the business, the look and the feel. I didn't outsource any of that part because it's the creative part of the business that I really, really like. And that is what nuance is. So the administrative stuff, let somebody, any, any bookkeeper can do your books. There's no creativity in that. At least there sure. shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there is, that we don't know. About. No, not of mine, but yes, there's some out there for sure. So the focus on building that and building the products. Yeah, look what we want to have is where I put all of my energy and time and focus with my wife. And sure. we, we constantly work on that. Good, good. Does that sort of answer your question?
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a huge secret because I think a lot of people who do businesses, hobbies, anything that they really get into, and they start off because they have a, a strength, a passion in something that they're good at too. And they get stuck, like you said, spending all their time in the things that they're not good at. They don't enjoy, but it's necessary. Bingo. And they never get the actual thing they
0: needed to do. They never get it done. They never get it done well. Exactly. And some things that, you know, should I have hired somebody to make my signs? It might have been more efficient. Yeah, but you enjoyed it. But I enjoyed it. Exactly right. And therefore, I get to do the fun parts. It isn't that I'm pushing the bad parts in the business of somebody else. Mm -hmm. My bookkeeper loves doing books. She really gets a kick out of it, right? She tries to share with me her passion for books. My eyes glaze over and I, you know, I'm like, I'm sure glad you enjoy that. But she really, really enjoys that. So it's finding people who
1: can help in those parts. So now did you do that with you know, marketing and all that? I mean, do you enjoy the marketing side of things? Oh, or? yeah. Yeah,
0: my previous company was a marketing company. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, okay. so I certainly had that experience as well. It was kind yeah. of weird the way it came together. I had a lot of disparate experiences through my previous careers and jobs and, and businesses. And this is a unique collection of those talents kind of all in one place. There's some parts I had nothing done. I'd never done a retail store before. So sure. I'd never, you know, run a cafe for God's sake. I had no idea about that. I got fortunate in the sense that one of my first employees had worked in a really nice cafe. Nice. So he knew how to run a steamer. I bought the steamer and put it there. I'm like, we're going to yeah. steam hot chocolate with this, and he's like, well go for it. And I'm like, I don't know how to run this thing. (laughs) (laughs) You do. (laughs) Exactly, right? So fortunately, Joshua was all excited and fired it up and got things rolling and started making drinks. And uh, of course, I know what I like in a drink. So my role then was to work with that machine and, and what I learned from him about how to run a steamer to the point that I thought we were making a drink that I really liked. Nice. So, yeah, you make up as you go along. I think people often get so focused on a particular vision that they won't adapt or change. Yeah. We thought we'd yeah. be originally about half wholesale, half retail. After all, all the you know, the bean-to-bar companies that came before us, most of them are really about the wholesale business. And some of them have a small retail presence, but most of them are just selling wholesale bars, a very limited number through, you know, the Whole Foods and specialty mm-hmm. foods markets and coffee shops. Yeah. I wanted a retail presence because I wanted to engage people and have fun. I wanted to be able to try different bars. I didn't want to get stuck doing those three or four different types of bars that you have to get kind of pigeonholed into doing. Yeah. So, You know that's how the nuanced retail side went, and it exploded to the point that we don't even do any wholesale. I don't have enough chocolate, (laughs) but you're talking about it, right? Yeah, we eventually. eventually Oh no, you're talking about retail online though. Yeah, we'll go to retail online next. Exactly. Then we have a—I have a list of you know dozens of people who want to sell our chocolate wholesale, and I have to keep saying no to them because we just don't have enough. Yeah, and that's a good problem, honestly, because I, I do enjoy the retail side a lot more. We can control the product; doesn't go, sh- doesn't get stale on the shelves, doesn't get abused. I can explain to people what differentiates it. It's not just yeah. one more product on the shelf somewhere. Sure, sure. So, you ever watch Shark Tank? No, I don't watch TV. Oh well, I, there you go. That's probably another <laughs> secret right there. Yeah, you stay focused. <laughs> yeah, I mean, TV is one of those things that if I watch, if I have one, I watch way too much of it. It's not because I'm holier than that, honestly. It's because I'm, I'm. It's a weakness. On a, yeah, on a business trip, right before the luggage hits the floor in the hotel room, yeah, the, the TV's, TV's on. on, and it's you know <laughs> there goes the rest of my evening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, I understand that. That's a good
1: thing to be able to know and you know take control of. But yep, dangerous thing. Shark Tank. I tell you one thing I've learned from them is that you'll see a lot of businesses will say we're really good at this. You know, so for example, you're really good at the retail, but then they'll say, but we want to get into wholesale because people are asking, and they'll say, don't. You know, because you're good at retail. Just for example, hear that a lot. And so maybe not being in wholesale right now, maybe that's a huge blessing in disguise. Who knows? But
0: I guess, I mean, it's not because I wouldn't be good at it, to be quite blunt. If I want to go wholesale, but I'd be good at it. You're yourself too thin more than anything else. I guess we would grow the company accordingly and make it work. You could handle it. <laughs> you know, I hate to say it. Yeah. But, you know, I guess being a small business owner. Anybody who does that basically is a cocky bastard because you have to be, right? You have to have that confidence what you do is going to work because yeah. it usually doesn't. So if you look at the odds of starting a business and you just purely based on the rational odds of your succeeding and what you're faced up with, you'd probably run away. So yeah, thinking that you can do it is certainly something and unfortunately I can. <laughs> you know, at this point I have had more successes than failures. No, You know, it's funny you brought up the whole cocky aspect because I've always kind of joked that small
1: business owners, you know, entrepreneurs in general, you have to have that, you know, an exceptional amount of confidence, almost borderline arrogance. You got to be careful, of course, because you want to make sure that it's done right. But at the same time, you're right about that because, you know, you're up against odds that other people would be like, this is never going to happen. You're like, I'll make it happen.
0: And part of that is being really prepared to fail and understand it. So I think the confidence to keep pushing through your failures, that kind of arrogance is required. But the minute you don't see a failure as a failure is the minute you will fail sure. for good sure. be the end of it. So honestly, that in the evening, looking at something that you've done or a business idea that you had, and realizing that you completely missed it. It was a, just the stupidest idea, the poor execution, the worst thing you could have done. To me, those are the learning moments. It's those failures that make you stronger if they don't kill you. Yeah. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, what last piece of encouragement would you like to leave us with? Oh, I don't know. I think giving advice to other people is a tough thing to do, right? It it is. Everybody's got their own point in time in their life and their own uh, where they are, what their experiences are, what they want for life. Yeah.
1: Well, what's one of the most valuable things you've learned that you just always remember? And you kind of say, you know what, this is something I try to live by.
0: You know, I try to make sure what I'm doing is making the world a better place, to be honest. That is my measurement of my success every day. Have I done something that I can be proud of and that's why we're all ethically and sustainably sourcing all of our beans and all our other products that's why we treat people the way we do and the hire the way we do work with our local partners I want to make sure I'm doing something useful and good and I can be proud of I love so, that so yeah I mean it sounds silly you probably, I should no, probably say wrong. something more along the lines of you know go and eat the chocolate well it brings a heart to what you do and also it brings meaning you know it's
1: not just like hey I'm in it for the money you see that you see it so many times Retailers you gotta make a
0: business with money right it's how you oh, pay yeah. your bills you know you, you have, have, to have to have something exactly but it's, it's, it's not just about that it's the evil necessity right yeah. it's not the goal Yeah. if I wanted to make a lot more money I could probably go out and find a whole bunch of investors that have had offers and blow this thing up overnight something yeah. very very big with a major corporate structure at yeah. which point you know what the mission would be would be very different oh yeah be about the bottom line it'd be about the bottom line yep. which means you know where you source your cacao from maybe child slave labor that's what everybody else does what the commercial guys do right yeah, it's yeah. about those kinds of things it's about instead of using you know the high quality milk from Holland we would use cheaper ingredients longer shelf life it would not be what I do sure I need to, you know, send my kid to college and yeah, yeah, pay mortgage like everybody else does. But to me, it's about doing it in a way that is sustainable, ethical, and I can look at myself in the mirror honestly and say, you know, today was a good day. I made a difference.
1: Yeah, I think it's wonderful. And Like you said, money is a necessary evil. You have yep. to do it. You can't live anywhere. You well, at least not in the United States anyway. You can barely live in the United States without money anymore. Which is, you know, it's a necessary thing. But I like the fact that you're not resorting to using farms and you know nope. you know they have child labor well i didn't know they were doing that that's horrible
0: it is horrible you know i want to support myself doing something that it contributes to the advancement of people's lives and uh that sounds kind of grandiose but honestly it, when you distill it down it's very very important what decisions do you make right now are they positive or negative negative? and i'm not saving the world but i'm not making it worth or worse either so
1: all right. Well, how do we find you? Get in touch with you? I know got listeners all over the world, of course, but eventually you're going to have some retail sales online so people can buy from you. But in the meantime, let's get this stuff out and that way
0: they can at least go there. Sure. So nuancechocolate.com. We're also on Facebook at nuancechocolate. Twitter, nuancechocolate. right? Hashtag, I guess, in front of that one. <laughs> Instagram, hashtag nuancechocolate. Love it. Toby, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Good. We'll go to the factory next.
1: In the factory, let me tell you what. We walk in, the smell is glorious, absolutely glorious. You've smelled it, you know, a million times by now, right?
0: Oh, yeah, but you never get tired of it. Chocolate's a wonderful thing. It's like breathing air, drinking water, you know. Yeah, it's wonderful.
1: Now, we are joined here. Why don't we just introduce you? Because we're all here, all having a good time.
0: Tell me all about yourself. Uh, My (laughs) name is Brent Jackson. I'm the chef de cuisine at the kitchen in
1: Fort Collins. I love it. All right, well, thanks for joining us. I'm Alex Gad. I am the production manager here at Nuance Chocolate and co-founder. So are you responsible pretty much for what we taste every day? Uh, Pretty much, yeah. I love that. Yeah,
0: what we're going to do here is we're going to walk through, uh, basically following a bean from the bean room all the way through the stages of production. So let's head back to the bean room. All right, so what we have back here are all the beans in these big orange barrels. These are actually just recycled fruit juice barrels, as you can tell. 55-gallon barrels. And how many barrels we have right now, Alex? About over 30 or something now? So inside one of these, when you open them up, you can see a wonder. This is where all chocolate starts. The seed, the bean, if you will, actually a seed from a tree called the Theobroma cacao tree. And these have been fermented already, fermented and dried. So when you smell them, you can smell some of that fermentation, some of the acetic acid notes on there. And different ones are, gonna, at this point, going to smell really different depending on the fermentation methods and those cultivars. So this guy right here,
1: this is Peru Marignan?
0: Yeah, Peru Marignan is actually the rarest cacao in the world. It was a bean that was long thought to be extinct. Rediscovered, featured by Anthony Bourdain as well as New York Times. So we're pretty lucky to have this bean. Something special about the Marignan is when you break them open, many of them, a very high percentage of them, are actually white or pale, kind of ivory inside. And I can't break very well with me.
1: <laughs> with one hand, yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah, Need a hammer effect they here. They look yeah. like
1: a cross between an almond and a date. You know, at first glance, of course
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, the first Europeans This is hilarious, Alex It's white it does not make white chocolate, though It actually does make a brown chocolate When they are uh, roasted up, they turn, turn colors But give that one a smell That's uh, the And That's something really different Let's say Madagascar here This is a very different cultivar Give that a sniff So see how bright wow. and zingy that is, yeah, right? that
1: is incredible
0: Yeah and that actually does make a very bright chocolate. So we're smelling in there some of, a lot of the different acids that are evident in there. And fermentation, what that does is it creates the uh, chemical precursor compounds we need. So when we apply heat through roasting. We actually convert those into the chocolatey flavors and aromas.
1: So now, these are post-roast.
0: No, these are not post-roast. So these are raw fermented beans right there, yeah. yes. You know it's not really smelling chocolate, right? It smells a little bit like... Uh, you kind of get a mix, though. I mean... I, I'm maybe chocolate trying to emerge. Wait till the next step, right? Let's see if we have some white ones in there. Did you find a white one, Alex, for him? Cool. Yeah, dark purple, that's a typical kind of fermentation stage on a um, a traditional bean, those whites or the marignons. So ethically and sustainably sourced, so everything is child-slave labor-free. We don't partake in any of that kind of ugly, dark side of of the chocolate world. All right. Like I said before, we have the largest selection of single-origin chocolate, any chocolate maker in the world. So that's why there's so many different barrels here. Obviously, it's something to store the beans in, but the reason we use barrels is we want to keep any moths, cacao moths, as the primary pest. And we throw chunks of dry ice in there, not to freeze them, but actually bleeds off a bunch of CO2, which displaces the oxygen. And therefore, they can't hatch that environment. So we throw blocks of CO2 in here every month or something like that to keep them from hatching and to kill any ones that might have done. So, yeah, yep. very interesting.
1: These are shipped to you. I mean, this is exactly how you get them.
0: No, they come in big bags, like a, it's a big burlap bag. But I mean, as far as Yes, beans, as far as these have arrived just like this. Exactly right. Exactly, yep. okay. Yep. So
1: this is basically raw shipped to you from those great farms, and now you're mm-hmm. you're taking care of them from here.
0: Exactly right. I yep. love it.
1: That is cool. Yeah, and this room, it's a small room, but I mean, you walk in, and there's so many of these barrels here. Yep. You kind of go, wow, look at all this chocolate to be
0: made. Exactly right. Just chocolate awaiting. All right, so yeah, definitely not the beautiful side of the whole business in many ways, right? These big, weird-looking beans and barrels. But what we do next is we take them back in here. All right, hey, Ken. Yeah. How's it going, man? Hey, good, man. Good, so Ken is doing some production. Ken will uh, hand sort all the beans to get rid of any atypical or misshapen beans, anything that's over-fermented, anything that's not a bean, like uh, pieces of rock or dirt or a bit of the husk that is around, not the husk, but the fruiting part of the pod they grow in. So he gets those out of there and sorts in these trays like this. So after we sort them, then they go over here to the roasting. So we roast the beans. Roasting, people often wanna compare roasting with coffee. Chocolate and coffee are both dark and they're both tasty and they both require roasting. Other than that, it's kind of like comparing a watermelon to a rutabaga or something like that. They're very different as far as fat composition and the method of roasting as far as the times, the temperatures and the delicate of doing it. So once they're roasted, we have this machine over here which is a cracker and winnower. What it's gonna do is it's gonna break the beans uh, apart and then winnow off with vacuum pressure the, uh, the husk, leaving the nib. So what's happening here is the nibs are dropping into the bucket right below, and the white bucket to the left of the machine is actually where all the husk is going. You can see a lot of these things are relatively primitive looking. There's not a lot of equipment for a small bean-to-bar chocolate maker. A lot of these things are cobbled together. They're They're all FDA certified, so everything's been approved by the health department's regulations. Kind of fun device there. And if you want to give these nibs a sniff, can you pick up the nibs for us, Ken? And you were saying before The beans you thought smelled like chocolate But that smells like chocolate
1: Yeah it is different Yeah But you can smell Some of those other compounds Mm -hmm. You know in the actual chocolate And taste them as well That we were smelling In the fermented The raw fermented beans Exactly I think the
0: chocolate Trying to emerge on those But at this point We have fully developed Well chocolate flavor But as far as all those Cool moving along So now, are you
1: roasting currently right now? Not
0: right now. No, we've roasted today, but we're not presently roasting at this very moment. So I'm assuming
1: you could probably see, you know, light on and actually see what's going on in there. How do you do the roasting process? Because you said you don't roast them as dark.
0: On purpose Well we do it with It's a peak roast So commercial dark chocolate Is roasted very very heavily They start with a low grade bean That requires that kind of Heavy handed roast It makes it palatable But doesn't make it taste Especially good Right They have to go through A bunch of chemical washing And alkalization That kind of process To make that tame So you start with a very High quality bean We can actually make a wonderful Structured complex chocolate That you wouldn't get With those low grade beans We can't make low grade beans Taste good But that's fine We don't want those But we can make good beans Taste awesome Love it all right, so now we'll head off to the melanger room next. So it'll be noisy in here. Are you driving spoons out? Uh yes, I said. All. all right, so what we have here are what are called melangers. They're actually repurposed Indian spice grinders. That's what uh, the small bean-to-bar industry actually started using. The original machine to uh, make chocolate was actually not that dissimilar from these things. You see the big barrel going around here, the big drum. Inside of that, you can see we have two parts. We've got these big wheels, big stainless, uh, excuse me, big uh, black granite wheels. And the bottom is black granite stone as well. So if we're going to make a single origin chocolate, we would just take those nibs and grind them up first into a chocolate liquor. And we throw them in there with just sugar to make a single origin bar. So we've just got cacao and sugar in those. And you can see how they're rotating, so here's one in action. Okay. So taking a look at the clock on this one, this has got five hours on it. It's going to turn like this actually closer to 90, basically 17 to 90 hours long is what that's going to turn. So it's doing a few things. One, the the stones, there's a lot of shear force on those on that granite bottom. So it grinds a particle die size down to about 20 microns and smaller, which is basically the nerd-speak way of saying, so small, you can't feel them anymore as far as particles. So it's smooth and gets that great character. You know, people are used to candy making, they're used to melting sugars. In chocolate making, we never actually melt the sugars. We grind them down instead. So if you're a real chocoholic, you can argue that chocolate is not candy, right? So that one's been going for a short. And you can still see some particles in there. Let's uh, pop a spoon in here and give you guys a little bit of taste of this one. What does this mean? This is Ghana. So Ghana is what we use for a lot of our uh, truffles. It makes a wonderful bar as well. We also use it for flavored bars. It's a good adaptable, kind of well-rounded chocolate. Softly fruity notes of cherries. At this stage, this guy is kind of bright, probably some crunch in there, right? A little bit of texture. It just started, five hours is essentially nothing, right? That's just really getting it down to the point that the cocoa butters, which are the naturally occurring fats and oils are liquefied in that point. So let's go look at a different one. So this is uh, Nicaragua at 53 hours. Let's not do that one yet. What do we have over here? That's uh, Zurich this morning? Yeah, so let's look at this. This is a milk chocolate. So milk chocolate is made, of course, by adding milk. Now that said, a lot of commercial dark chocolate also has milk in it or hydrogenated fats and things like that. We're actually uh, purists. we refer to dark chocolate, it's going to be cacao and sugar, nothing else added in there. When you add milk into it, which we use a whole fat milk from Holland, it's very different than what you're used to. Well, you have to use a dry milk in chocolate making, right? And people are often nervous when they hear that. They picture that carnation stuff. I call it survival grade. This is an entirely different beast. This is a it's a whole fat milk from Holland, really creamy, smooth, and delicious. Tastes like butter, honestly, when it's out of the package. So again, this has how many hours on there? Someone's got about seven hours on there. So it's still a lot of texture on there. But you can see is now we've got something creamy going with that milk, right? All right, let's try something crazy over here. So we've got Nicaragua at 53 hours. So the particle size is getting pretty close to what we should have. We're also blowing off a bunch of volatile and aromatic compounds as this is working. So it's maintained, the liquid nature is maintained by the heat of the friction of the device. So how fast the device is run dictates how we're blowing off different volatiles and how things are recombining for flavor development in the melanger itself. Oxygenation and aeration also play a role in that flavor development. Now this is a crazy one. People love or hate Nicaragua. It's got a green leafy tobacco note. So smokers love it, non-smokers are 50-50. It's hard for me to guess which way it's gonna be. But it's a little smoother at this point, right?
1: Yeah, I love that one. I know a lot of people, actually, that, that came in and they tried that in the flight and went, oh, that's the one. So, yeah. yeah. You're right about that, though. It's a love and A lot of
0: people say, oh, my God, why do you even make that? Right? <laughs>
1: that is interesting going from the particle to, you know, to where you're at, you know, where you can taste the graininess to completely smooth. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, thank you. Fun to be tasting this stuff. I wish you could be here to be tasting this right now because, you know, sampling chocolate in this process is wow. Incredible.
0: Well, let's go look at the wall of chocolate here for a minute comes out the melangers, we just pour them into big blocks. It looks funny, right? You, you maybe have left a chocolate bar in your car on a hot day and have it melt and reform. It gets that kind of white stuff on the outside. So that's what this looks like right here. These are about 25 pound blocks of chocolate. And uh, what's happening there, the reason that white stuff forms, it's actually just called bloom and actually occurring fats and oils in the bean called cocoa butters, separating out of suspension from those solids. And what's happening there is chocolate, when it goes from a uh, liquid state to a cool state, when it hardens, the fats and oils themselves crystallize not like sugars and candy making but actually the fats and oils and they can form different kinds of crystal structures depending upon how that process of melting and cooling them occurs so if you don't do it right like leaving that chocolate bar in your car on a hot day and melting and reforming you mostly get what we call the beta one through four crystals they separate out for the bloom the texture not quite right right kind of grainy we all have eaten that right and so it's the kind of wrong texture um, so what we actually want to have is what's called a beta 5. That gives chocolate the snap, the gloss, the smoothness, and the mouthfeel of good chocolate. And that's a very delicate cooling, our melting and cooling process called tempering. So these are all stacked up and ready to go to tempering. So the first thing we do is we melt it. So this part of the end, you know, there's lots of people out there working with chocolate. Chocolatier, as we call them, right? Chocolatier doesn't make chocolate. They have a fancier sounding name. That'd be kind of like the barista compared to the coffee roaster, right? The barista makes a beautiful drink out of somebody else's roasted coffee. But we are chocolate makers. But there's lots of chocolatier equipment. So the first stage is we take those big blocks. Yeah, we went over here to take a look at So that's where we're uh, melting it. It's the yep. first stage, basically getting it ready. That'll melt overnight. And then what we do is the melted chocolate we throw into these units. These are called tempering machines. So what this is going to do is that very delicate melting and cooling process it has to be accurate to within about a tenth of a degree to actually get the right temper we want on that. And different chocolates do temper differently. Different cultivars and different origins are actually a little bit different, different temperature ranges, which is why we have Alex, the master of the temper. Now, if it doesn't go right, you can have a temper tantrum. So once the chocolate is molten and it's at that right temperature and that kind of careful controlled process, we take it and we pour it into the molds. Funny thing, molds here actually, I have vacuum formed them all myself. So we see some geek things going through here. These are actually the vacuum formed molds. Uh, if I printed the blanks wow. in my 3D printer. Kind of fun. So we pour those on there and we have a little shaker table. The shaker then shakes to set a little chocolate in there and gets a little bit of bubbles
1: out and things like that. So now to explain your molds really quickly, it's got nuance written on it uh-huh. and then you've got a little design beneath that. Yep. Is the design significant at all?
0: Well, so we sort of thought the threads of flavor and the nuances, oh, yeah. how they come together. So that would be kind of almost sort of a musical or a wave or the shape of the nuance intertwining with each other. Love it. Yep. Yeah, that was kind of the goal there anyway. And then we put them on the, uh, the racks in front of, we call it the wall of wind. And basically we've got some filters on there because we want to keep anything that might have cut loose in the shop, any little bit of fluff or something like that and catch it in those filters. And then that blows the cool air in the, uh, the factory. You notice it's pretty cool in here. So we actually have to keep the shop uh, under 65 degrees at all times so we can temper and handle chocolate at any given moment. And that blows that nice cool air in there to the racks and boom, we have tempered chocolate right here. Looks like we have a little bit of extra in there. So anything that is not into a bar, just pour out and remold and retemper it. You can actually temper a chocolate pretty much indefinitely. Yeah. That's nice because there's no waste. There really isn't waste. We yeah. had a lady come by one time and she wanted to get all the chocolate we didn't use, the waste chocolate. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, no, there isn't any. That's, that's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. So what we have over here is where we make our truffles. Nuance Truffles are a hand rolled Dense ganache center So unlike those candy store kind of corn syrupy things Which are really most, you know, corn syrup and fillers And lots of sugar, they're really yeah. sweet yeah. We actually use about half a bar of chocolate In them, so, Interesting. Yeah, so here's ones, these, are, uh, these have been enrolled, And they are ready for enrobing So you can see we've got the little, uh, little centers there All ready to go, and we have the granite tables here These absorb the heat nicely As they go, so they roll And then what we're doing is we're basically setting that ganache By cooling them off of these tables And we notice we've got our air conditioner units right there to keep these tables in this area nice and cool. And there's some more chocolate ready to go. Once they're hand rolled, we go back to the temperers, actually, the the tempering machines, where each one is hand enrobed and hand decorated. Preset all the uh, tempering machines so they're ready to go in the morning. Yeah, I noticed they said overnight.
1: So that's just something
0: you leave all night long? Yeah, it's overnight mode. It keeps them at a stable point. Yeah, that's cool. Once you get a bunch of Beta 5s in there, the Beta 5s will automatically propagate. So even though it's liquid, it'll get thicker and thicker and thicker. I mean, it'll actually set into a block at a higher temperature at that rate. So she had that little cycling. It'll melt some beta fives. It'll bring it back, melt some beta fives. And under here, we, underneath here, we actually have all the, we have husk, which we typically sell to the breweries. Oh, nice. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're just sending over 50 pounds of husk today to New Belgium to work on new beer. So it makes a great additive to beer. Yeah, that's
1: what you were mentioning, you know, when we were chatting over at your store that you know, they'll add chocolate to beer but adding beer to chocolate doesn't work so that's, there you go that's, so that's what they take they take those husks
0: yeah a lot of them we use nibs honestly the uses of husk something that well like Peter uh, Bukart over at New Belgium is really big in using the husk part of it it does carry a lot of flavor it also has not been say with finished chocolates and do the melangers there has a lot more volatiles and complexities that a brewmaster like Peter understands how to work with in making that beer and of course we're making truffles we have all of our bottles over here of the real deals
1: Oh, there, there you go. Yeah,
0: yeah. working with a lot of local stuff, feisty spirits, and all the real deal. So we don't use any kind of you know liquor extracts, things like that. Our truffles do have liquor in them, the real deal. It's not boiled out. They're not liquidy, but it's yeah. in there. Yeah, nice. This little guy has a favorite machine. R two. R two D two. When you're tempering chocolate, the way it basically works is well, you want to melt out the beta one through fours and get rid of them. By this, we get rid of them, but they melt down and become just liquid chocolate. The beta-5s are hard to propagate, but if you get a couple of them in there, everybody else who's next to it wants to become a beta-5 too. right? So what we do here is we actually run through this little machine, this little Easy Temper machine, and it creates some beautiful, perfect beta-5 crystals in pure cocoa butter.
1: Wow. It's It's called silk. Okay.
0: It's just beta-5s in there. Yeah, So a little bit of That's that, neat. you dab a bit in there, and it sets off that propagation, which increases the likelihood it'll all temper beautifully.
1: Man, the amount of machines and the, you know, the different machines that you have to use, the process is extensive. I'm sure it's simple to you now.
0: No, I think it's still a magical process. You know? yeah. Every time you get a different bean, you know, we only use about 15% of the beans that we test. Okay, really? so, okay. Yeah, so we can test a batch as little as, say, a couple pounds of beans to see what it's going to be like and whether it's worth working with that bean. So, 85% of the stuff that we, uh, the samples that we get, we reject because they don't make good chocolate. So, that's always fun discovering uh, new beans and working with new beans, and that kind of thing. And, of course, roasting it. What's the best roast for that bean? How do we perfect that? And then uh, going through the melancholy time and what's it going to make to do that? So, everyone is really a very unique experience. It's not like there's. A recipe, if you will. There's a recipe per bean once you get a bean perfected, but there's no recipe we would say is universal to all chocolate.
1: Well, and of course, each year there's a different crop, you know, there's a different season, and so the the beans are going to come out very differently.
0: They are, yeah. Different fermentation methods, different moisture, different temperatures in that area will make those beans better or worse.
1: Well, see, it's neat, though, that you take that kind of care with each bean to make sure that, you know, it's worth Selling that it's going to be tasteful, you know, in the in the right way and all, and not, yeah, it's going to be worth say, eating. Uh, you know, exactly, you yeah, know? exactly. Let's
0: we don't care about the selling part, it's the eating part. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it, that's incredible. 27 pound chocolate bar. Oh, yeah, that's kind of fun, isn't it? All right, so now is this okay? 27 is this like the 27 pound, you know, chocolate Easter bunny that you hear
0: about at Easter, except this is the real coin. Cool. It's going to look a little more rough than that. So <laughs> when we take them out of the melanger, right, we pour it into these big pans. So that is what to store until it's ready. Now, the neat thing about chocolate is chocolate actually needs to age a little bit before we make it into bars. People don't really think about that. They think, what would uh, an aged Hershey bar taste like? Well, it would taste like an aged Hershey bar. You go too long, yeah. and it might taste bad. But pure chocolate, i.e. cacao and sugar, actually has a lifespan of decades. And it does change, and those flavor compounds and chemicals reemerge. So she's pouring over right now. Okay. That is a big
1: bar of chocolate. Wow, that's that incredible. that right there,
0: yeah. It's got 27 pounds of chocolate just waiting to go to the next step. Yeah. Right, it comes out of the melanger's as liquid, right? So what it's going to do is it's going to propagate itself one of those beta 1 through 5 crystals, or a combination of them. So depending on what temperature that melanger was and how fast it cools in the pan, sometimes you get a thing that looks almost like a finished bar, sometimes you get a little bit of bloom like that guy, they can look all different, uh, different ways. Some of them are actually quite, quite beautiful. We have some pictures of some untempered chocolate that's gorgeous. So Ken's about to load a melanger over here, actually. What he's doing is weighing out the nibs to make some measurements. And what we do is we basically figure out the ratios of sugar we're going to be adding to that guy. And by the way, the red thing over there, that is our chocolate liquor maker, also called a peanut mill. <laughs> that, those grinds the nibs into that chocolate liquor that we then throw into the melangers. Now, you can put the nibs directly into the melanger, theoretically, but it's slower and noisy and kind of hard in the machinery. So this guy grinds it down and liquefies it, which makes it go a little faster and... It liquefies just on the temperature, the friction of the machine running.
1: That, you said the peanut grinder, is that the same kind of machine you're gonna see over at Whole Foods when you're trying to grind your own peanut yeah, butter? That's exactly okay. right.
0: That is the same very machine. So again, there's not a lot of chocolate, there's not a lot of gear that was really designed for the small bean bar makers. Sure. So that thing is what a number of us use to make our chocolate liquor. Interesting. There are different ways of doing it, but that's a common method of doing it. Yeah, you nice. know, nothing is quite perfect. That's great make, making peanuts. It does kind of complain a bit occasionally as we're putting uh, chocolate n- or uh, cocoa nibs through that, right? It's going to whine and jam occasionally and carry on.
1: <laughs> yeah. It works.
0: That's what's That's what It does indeed work. We go through a lot more blades than I think your typical peanut shop does. Cacao has a little more abrasiveness to it, so we buy those things by the six-pack. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, what ratio of uh, husks do we lose, right? And we can lose, yeah, it's about 20%. Yeah, so that goes off to the breweries. So, and then of course, you know, single origin bar, most of our single origins are 70%. So we put 30% sugar in there. So we actually get, I guess in the end, by the time you add the sugar back in more than you put the bag in. Okay, do some math there. (laughs) So it's pretty small space.
1: Yeah, but it looks efficient and effective. Yeah, exactly what you need.
0: Yep. Very nice. Yeah, it's not quite as spiffy as the kitchen.
1: So Um, now over on the shelf here, you've got these big cans I notice there's.
0: So it's what we use for creating the seeds. Right, the sea crystals on there. You can. Other things, mostly these are truffle flavors, you know, salt. We use a special salt. It's actually Trapani Road sea salt for making our sea salt bars and our sea salt truffles, that kind of thing. So most of this is uh, truffle ingredients over here. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, a big bag okay. of rose petals, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, on top of our truffles. We have a really neat cool. truffle right now. It's, uh, it's using Happy Heart Farms. It does a rose-infused honey that they sell. So they take thousands of roses and soak them in honey. And squeeze it out, of course. They sell the honey. It's this beautiful rose-infused, fresh honey thing. At the end, of course, they end up with all the rose petals, which are fully saturated with honey. And they are amazing. So, actually, Alex has got some right here to take a look at. So, we bought their entire batch. But Just stick stick your nose in there, guys. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, we bought their entire batch. We're using that in our first special edition truffle. Yeah. We had to charge a little more for it because that stuff is uh, very, very expensive. And we have to use a lot to get that wonderful honey rose flavor. But... It's something special that You can't have nice any, Brent <laughs> 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 It's all mine <laughs> So, once want to try some chocolate, guys? Sure, absolutely yeah, What do we have we can give them a little taste of? We could open, we could open a bar or we could uh, pull something off So, this is Guatemala So, this is on the brighter, more acidic, complex chocolate side uh, It hasn't sat much after tempering So, it'll be especially bright at the moment Very complex mm. Yes. This is a lovely bean, honestly. I love this chocolate. Pretty different than what you're tasting on the melangers. What's the executive chef think? So bright, cherry. Actually, there's a little bit of that tobacco-y flavor in it. It's interesting. I want some, too.
1: <laughs> that is really good. I-, I like the brightness, personally. I'm kind of used to it, though, you know?
0: I like getting mm. all those flavors in there. Yeah, I-, I hear. I definitely taste the cherry. Yeah, it's like bright, like uh, tart pie cherries. Yeah. Notice as it changes, as your mouth warms up, right? Mm-hmm. Chocolate tastes different as it warms up with good chocolate. And the reason is you get different volatiles that release at different temperatures. And you're also getting different sensations, like the retronasal, when you get warm chocolate going back down your throat, and you smell that coming back up. That sounds kind of gross, but... Uh, <laughs> I understand. That's how really good, a lot of good things, when you think about things like wines and beers, uh, the retronasal is a lot of the, the good sensations. It's part of it stays longer, too. And we're back on the back wall here. We kind of squeeze around a little bit tight, but bars ready to go, guys. Oh wow! Look at that.
1: Very cool. Yeah, that's neat to see. Just boxes of chocolate
0: bars. Box of chocolate bars (laughs) ready to go. That's Mm. great. About to launch the online store, so these are going to go fast once that store goes. We're actually trying to stockpile a bit right now.
1: (laughs) So now you said typically like to sell them obviously off the rack and everything. How long do you let them age? Typically you know, Yeah you so
0: you know It's probably two weeks or so Okay is typically what we like To make sure it sits for But different bars right So yeah. Ghana honestly is Doesn't really change As much with aging As something like a Madagascar Or a Belize Or something like mm-hmm. that And the kitchen actually Is the only place That uses our chocolate wholesale Oh nice Nice Hey you're lucky <laughs> Yeah Brent and his predecessor Were uh, very instrumental In coercing me into doing it By making <laughs> wonderful things And giving us tastes of them Oh
1: that's great Look at that Yeah <laughs> That's neat
0: Yeah Fascinated by our wall of wind, yeah, (laughs) cool. That's pretty much the story, man.
1: Okay, well, thank you,
0: sure.
1: You know, going around and experiencing that, so neat. So, I hope you enjoyed it too. And if you ever get a chance to come out to Colorado, let me know, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll take a little trip to Nuance Chocolate, check it out. You won't be able to see the factory, but you'll be able to experience the shop and go from there. But, like I said, if you want to try some of their chocolate now, it's online. That's so cool. This is a brand new thing that they just finished recently and uh, Toby and I were talking about it and he was saying, "Well, I want to I want to push off the interview a little bit just so that we can make sure that the store is online when this episode airs." So there you go, nuancechocolate.com. All right, Friday, anything goes day. It's Superhero Friday coming up. You know with Fridays, we just totally nerd out. We have a great time. We talk about whatever we want. The mad scientist is going to be joining me. <laughs> it's going to be great. Go to realbryanshow.com for show notes and everything. Special thanks to Emily for writing those and Josh for all of the production of this episode and this show. I'm the Real Brian signing off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at
0: 514mediaempire.com.